Hey y'all, welcome to the Silver Spoon Podcast. I'm your host, Kennedy Alsop. Welcome back to another episode of the Silver Spoon Podcast. We naturally cannot let Black History Month pass us by without discussing the Black home ownership crisis. In the United States, there is a significant and persistent gap between Black and white home ownership rates. This gap historically has stemmed from discriminatory practices such as redlining and predatory lending, just to name a few. Um, So today we are going to discuss Black home ownership with the multi-talented and accomplished Dr. Gabrielle Riggins-Royals. If you look up hustle in the dictionary, Gabby's picture comes up. She is a wearer of many hats. She helps families in the search for their dream homes as a realtor with own realty. She imparts her knowledge on the eager minds of the next generation through her service as a adjunct instructor at Norfolk State University. She showcases her Gregorious personality as a much-loved recruiting director at Waffle House. And last but certainly not least, she is a loving wife and mother to her three children. These are just a few of the hats that Gabby wears um, and just a few of Gabby's accolades. We're lucky enough to have tricked Gabby into joining us again. Um, You may recognize her from an earlier episode this month, but this time we're asking her to put on her realtor hat so we can discuss Black home ownership. Thanks for joining us again, Gabby. Thank you for having me. Um, This is a very important topic to me. not to hack the show or anything, but just like for some contextual background. So my actual doctorate focused on redlining. Um, I'm very passionate about the topic. I'm passionate about all things Black. So (laughs) Uh, I'm happy to be here and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Awesome. Well, let's get right on into it then. Um, So to kick us off, I'm curious what, in your opinion, what's the role uh, that systemic racism plays in limiting access to desirable neighborhoods and impacting property values in predominantly Black communities? So slight history lesson, Um, and I'm going to take this all the way back to even like housing projects. So you know, society views projects or they associate the projects with Black people, Mm -hmm. you know, ghetto, slums, that kind of thing. A lot of people don't realize that housing projects originally were for um, white factory workers. It was somewhere for them to be able to live while they were working. Um, But then here you have where it's like, okay, you got to start hiring more diverse workers, right? Mm -hmm. And so as you're now hiring more Black workers, well, guess where they want to live? In the housing for the workers. (laughs) Right. So now the white people are like, yeah, I don't want to live there. (laughs) Um, And at the time, because this is like city-funded housing, they were taking care of it. Housing projects did not always look run down. 
they were actually taking care of the facilities because this is where their workers were living. Hmm. But as the Great White Flight, basically, that's where the Great White Flight kind of originated, was starting with housing projects. They moved out of those housing projects and started to buy homes. Black workers stayed in those housing projects. The city stopped putting resources and funding into them, and they became what they are now. And so I always think it's funny when people kind of associate housing projects with Black because that's not what it that's not what it began as. Right. Um, but it's one reason why having these conversations is so important because that part of history gets so easily erased mm-hmm. and it's not talked about. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where that starts. Um, so you have these neighborhoods that, you know, they have now migrated to and they have bought their first homes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Black people want to own homes too. So what would happen is you'd have a predominantly white neighborhood and a black family would, uh, you know, start looking at houses and the neighbors would do everything to make them not want to live there. The lenders would actually like give them higher interest rates with the hope that it would deter them from wanting to become Homeowners, And when I say high interest rates, I'm talking like uh, 11, 12, as high as 18%. Wow. Type interest rates back then. <laughs> um, and they were, and don't get me wrong, 11% interest was, it was high back then, but a white homeowner was getting 11%. So the black homeowner was getting closer to the, the 18%. Right. right. Um, And they were like chasing down realtors. Like, why are you even showing them houses in our neighborhood? So if you happen to be a black family that you didn't care about the predatory lending and you didn't care about the high interest rates and you didn't care about the neighbors that were trying to pressure you not to move in and you successfully now became a homeowner, all of a sudden, all these for sale signs started popping up in neighborhoods. Hmm which is how you got a lot of predominantly black neighborhoods back then. One family would basically start the flight of them moving to a whole nother neighborhood as the neighborhood became more colorful. And then they would mark these neighborhoods on the map as undesirable neighborhoods to live in. So that's basically where that started at. Um, A lot of the low-income neighborhoods that you'll see today, if you were to go back and look at historic maps, you'll see those were the original undesirable neighborhoods. And a lot of them have remained predominantly minority neighborhoods. And it's not just Black. That is, um, if you were Jewish, you were in an undesirable neighborhood. If you were Latino, there wasn't a whole lot of them back then. But if there were any Latinos, it was an undesirable neighborhood. Pretty much anyone who wasn't Caucasian, with the exception of Jews, Mm -hmm. um, you were marked undesirable. And Mm -hmm. if it was yellow, it was like, it's on the decline. (laughs) Um, And green was obviously, yeah. It's good to live there. Mm -hmm. And so they also, with that, like those markings, the red lined areas, again, carried higher interest rates. So if you can't afford to buy, what do you then become? 
a renter. So when you look at all these different factors and then you have the fact that um, even just like housing discrimination practices in general, I mean, I recall it's before my time, but one of the biggest things that Donald Trump's family was in um, the news for was their father was practicing like discriminatory um, landlord practices with his buildings. So even though that's on the rental side, it's still it's still discrimination regardless of how you look at it. We're mm-hmm. trying to put ourselves in a better neighborhood, in a better space, and we're being told, you know, you don't have the credit, you don't have the income. And a lot of people like to paint this picture that racism is dead and that, you know, it's not something that still exists. But Navy Federal literally was just in the news a couple months ago for denying more black borrowers than any other borrower. And this is black borrowers with adequate income and sometimes higher credit scores Wow. than the other people that were applying for lending, but yet they're getting denied. So you still have banks. Wells Fargo was in the news for it. Bank of America has been in the news for it. Like it's not, it's not like when redlining got, um, cause it, it is considered illegal now. Right. Um, but it's not like when redlining got banned that all of a sudden the practice went away. Right. So that's kind of where that started. And, you know, it's just when you look at cities now, Portsmouth, for a lot of people that don't know, Portsmouth is a majority black city. It's about 54%. It's not like some crazy majority, mm-hmm. um, but it's about 54% black. Portsmouth has the highest property taxes. Um, in the seven cities, um, property taxes are controlled by homeownership rates. If you don't have a whole lot of homeowners, you have higher taxes. Um, in a city where the majority of the people are Black and the majority of those people are not homeowners, that is what's playing into that factor. The homes in Portsmouth also sell for a lot cheaper than other areas. And I find it really ironic that that you can get like a three to 4,000 square foot house in Portsmouth, way less than what you can get it for in Virginia Beach. And ironically, you know, their appraisals are like much lower. But again, look at the demographics of the city. Right. So yeah, generally the more colorful the city, the property values aren't going up as fast. Okay. So um, I know you talked a little bit about how, I guess, you know, with, um, with the way that these practices are, we see even today that there are, um, you know, higher property rates and things like that. How do discriminatory lending practices, um, you know, continue to affect the well-being of Black home buyers, and how can we mitigate them? So I will even, outside of the fact that um, obviously you have banks that are still denying borrowers, um, irregardless of whether or not they have comparable income or credit scores and things like that, even once you own the home, there's still discriminatory practices within the housing market. Um, and unfortunately, you're con- you kind of learn like what you need to do to get around that. So um, there was a couple, and I cannot remember the state right now off the top of my head, but anyway, they wanted to refinance their house 
Um, and in order to refinance their house, they had to get an appraisal done. And so they had someone come in and do the appraisal. I, if I'm not mistaken, they're an interracial couple. The wife was black, the husband was white, but they left up all their photos and artwork and all of that stuff. And so the appraisal came in and it came in at some number that they they just knew like something's off. Like I know our house is worth more, you know, than what this appraiser has has said that the value of our house is. And so they decided to pay for a second appraisal. But this time she took all the pictures down. She took all the artwork down and she had her white husband stay home. So now this second appraiser comes in and he's greeted by this uh, white gentleman and he, you know, this is the homeowner and the appraisal comes in a hundred grand more than the first one they got. If it was like five to $10,000, right? Because every appraiser, while they may have a system that they're supposed to go off of and they're supposed to check comps, it's no different than like running an experiment. There's going to be like a margin of error there, you know, where someone might look at something or judge something differently, irregardless of what system they're supposed to go off of. But a hundred grand, that's not a margin of error. That's just flat out, I think, you know, what the ruling was in the lawsuit was basically like, obviously that appraiser was biased. And there are several black homeowners that have literally tried this exact same experiment and noticed differences in their appraisals. And so I actually recently met with uh, someone about selling their house. And the first thing I said was, I need to take your, you're going to have to take your artwork down. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because A, this house is going to have to get appraised and B, people are going to walk through your house. And unfortunately, there are still people in the world that will walk through a house and not want to buy it because of who is living in it. And that's not even just based on race. That's based on sexuality. I mean, it's based on a lot of things. You know, I recently seen someone ask for a referral for a realtor and they specifically said must be LGBTQ plus friendly because there are still people that will, you know, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to look at an offer for someone behind your house for what the terms of the offer are, not who's buying it. One thing that is illegal within real estate is you're not supposed to like visually record or audio record anyone that is in your house. Unfortunately, there are people that still find some, you know, with ring cameras and things like that, right. you're able to see who's viewing your home. And there have been reports of people that have just blatantly decided that they didn't want to accept an offer because of who it came from. That's discrimination. So outside of just being Black, I mean, people in general have found loopholes to still be able to discriminate against people who, you know, are qualified to buy their homes. And just imagine if you are a young black couple looking at a house and a family saw you on their ring camera and was like, if they make an offer, make sure, make sure not to accept it. Mm -hmm. Again, from the realtor perspective, it's illegal. And the realtor is supposed to tell them, I will not do that. We're going to look at every offer. Um, and hopefully they are doing the ethical, the ethical thing, but that's us also trying to just be real optimistic that everybody is on the straight 
and narrow. And unfortunately, in society, we know that everybody is not. Right. If everyone was on the straight and narrow, you wouldn't have these boards that look at people and have all these fines and lists of violations. You know, they're there because someone did something that wasn't ethical or wasn't of good practice. So you have those things um, in terms of appraisals. You have, um, again, just people knowing who's looking at their home. Um, That is a way they can discriminate. Most of it, again, begins with the banks, though, because obviously you can't go look at anyone's house until the bank says that you are qualified to, what's the word I'm looking for, to get pre-approved or to get pre-qualified to purchase a house. Okay. Well, that perfectly brings us into the next question I had for you, which is what are some challenges that Black homeowners may or home buyers may encounter when seeking mortgage loans compared to other demographics? Lack of education. I and so one thing that I'm very big on is I think there has to be a, a certain level of accountability when it comes to the lack of education in the Black community. I do believe that systemic racism absolutely 110% plays into why there is a generational wealth gap. I do believe that systemic racism plays into why there's a lack of education, why there's um, a lack of home ownership. But I also, at the same time, am a person who believes in the concept that at some point, we as a people have to stop blaming. And we as a people have to look in the mirror and say, what have we also what have we done to try to change these outcomes one reason i was very passionate about wanting to teach at an hbcu i mean i could have applied at any school but i wanted to specifically impart my expertise and my knowledge at an hbcu because i felt it was very important hbcus already are kind of looked down on in this country like you know we're not um we're not good enough. And I wanted to change that. I don't discriminate in any way, but yes, I'm very passionate about black home ownership. I'm open to helping everyone, but I'm definitely open to helping my people because what I have found is my people are the ones that are out here offering, asking for private landlords and looking for, Hey, can somebody give me a free Uh, apartment approval, finding all these loopholes instead of gaining the knowledge to figure out how do I change my circumstance? Mm -hmm. We have all these credit repair companies. Those credit repair companies target minorities and they charge you ungodly amounts of money to quote unquote, fix your credit. And by the time you paid them the monthly fees, you could have fixed your own credit. Right. I, when I decided I wanted to own a house, I looked at my credit score. It was not where I wanted it to be. I can be real transparent. I think my credit score at the time, I think it was like a 580 or something crazy or another because I had done what every person does. You go get credit cards and you run them up and you're not even paying attention to it because you don't really care. You're just out here young and living your best life. When I bought my house, my credit score was a 725 and I didn't pay a single person to get to that. I did that myself just by reading and educating myself. And I was on YouTube and I was reading books and I was going to home buying seminars and I was going to home buying seminars by people that look like me. 
And again, nothing wrong with anyone else hosting one. I just wanted to hear the perspective from somebody that looked like me. And I was taking notes and I was writing down all these tips and I fixed my credit. I helped fix my now husband's credit because we were going to buy the house together. I researched everything I needed to know about the different loan programs. I became an expert on uh, everything FHA, everything VHDA, USDA, VA. Um, I didn't qualify for VA, but I still wanted to know like how that worked, how different conventional loans work, how do down payments work. I wanted to know all of it. And I didn't pay anybody. I did it all for free to the point where I actually got into it with my lender on my first house because he tried to tell me that I didn't know what I was talking about on a um, a specific regulation for the loan. I wanted a conventional loan. He was trying to push me to go FHA. FHA generally is, um, while it's a great program, I'm not going to down talk it, but FHA programs, a lot of minorities go for that program because it offers a lower down payment. You can get into a house for 3.5%. Um, it usually has this fixed interest rate that is much better generally than a conventional loan. But the con to that is FHA loans come with private mortgage insurance. And unless you refinance, you have private mortgage insurance for the life of that loan. Mm -hmm. So I wanted a conventional because yes, I was still going to get PMI, but at some point, if I hit 78% loan to value, or if I got my house appraised and my house was at 78% loan to value, I could just ask for my PMI to be removed. And I knew that, but it did require me to make a higher down payment of 5%. So I'm telling my lender this and he was just on the phone, like telling me, I've been doing this for 20 years. I know what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're talking about, all this stuff. And I ended up sending him like the guidelines. Like, and I was like, sir, I'm well-researched. I don't do anything. I don't go into anything without like knowing what I'm talking about. And so I ended up right. My point in giving this example is how many people would have just let him tell them they were wrong and they would have just ran with it. Facts. Lack of education is the reason why a lot of people don't know their rights when it comes to being pulled over. Lack of education is why people don't know what to do when they get sued. Lack of education is why people don't know what to do when they're arguing with someone who's trying to tell them that they don't know what they are talking about. And they actually do, but they're not confident in it because they're not fully educated on it. So, you know, I, when I see my people out here in my opinion, targeting their own people with credit help um, or these apartment scams that they know they should not be in. It's upsetting for me because if you can go out here and find the resources to get them quote unquote free apartment approvals and I'm gonna charge you $800 to get in this apartment, you could, you know, if you just wanna make some money, have a home buyer class if, if it's that big a deal to you. Offer a home buying class, like put that same energy into something that's going to help your community and boost your community, not continue to be this revolving cycle of scams and 
like just in my opinion, kind of just tearing us down and keeping us where we are. You already have, like if you already have one set of people that are doing everything to keep you where you are, why would we add to that? Yes. So um, I think I would say lack of education. Lack of education, I think is 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 really the big thing. If we knew better, I think we would do better. If we knew what are the percentages that go into your credit score? How long before something falls off of your credit? What is the percentage of a car that you need to keep open? You know, these debt relief scams. Debt relief is a scam. And I don't, I don't know if people don't realize that these companies are getting you talking about some, oh, we can give you debt relief. It literally like tanks your score. And then they settle out with companies. It shows on your credit. You basically have to default on purpose in order to do it. So you're screwing yourself to somehow end up with fixed credit, but they close all the accounts so that you can't spend the money technically. So they make it seem like it's some benefit when really and truly, again, basic education, you probably could have fixed it yourself, paid down your accounts and never had to close a single one of them. You mm-hmm. only need a 620 credit score for most home programs. And I'm not saying you should only strive for a 620, but my point is you only need a 620 for most credit programs. Some even go as low as a 580. If you know what programs you're going for, you put your credit goal at that. Now, is your rate going to be like something ridiculous? Absolutely. (laughs) Because you're at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of like your credit score. But my point is how many black people are sitting at a 625 and thinking, I can't be a homeowner because they don't know they just needed a 620. Yeah, that's very true. I love that. That was a perfect answer. The next question I have for you is, are there any specific program or initiatives aimed at promoting homeownership in the Black community and where can we find them? So uh, there are, there are several. Um, some on a national, like on a national basis, like the NAACP, for example, has a ton of initiatives and money that they put into like the the community for different like programs and things like that. From a local standpoint, um, we actually have a group here called Black Brand. I used to be a part of Black Brand um, when I was in insurance, and uh, it was started by I want to say I think Blair. She's a VTech grad, but Blair's whole focus was you have the Hampton Roads Chamber of Commerce. She got the Chinese Chamber of Commerce. She got like all these different chambers of commerce, right? But there was no specific black one. And so Blair put it together and it's it's a whole bunch of like black businesses and things like that. And every year she hosts what she calls, oh God, what is it? It's like HR Con. And she has generally like there's a top selling real estate agent. There's generally a real estate investor. Like she invites all these different people um, from real estate and they come in and it's free Um, as long as you're a black brand member, I believe. I think if you're not a black brand member, there's like a small fee, but it's like it's not nothing crazy, like no hundred or two hundred dollars. It's been a while. I attended the first probably three that she did. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the very first one she did was free (laughs) because it was when Black Brand was still kind of new. 
now black brand is much bigger. And so, you know, at the end of the day, business is business, right? Right. Um, but um, I like the initiative that she does because she, again, it's hosted by people that look like us. And I'm not saying that when we get knowledge from other people, like it doesn't mean anything. I just think it holds or it has a little bit more impact sometimes when it's coming from someone that looks like you. Yeah. Uh, I like to put it like if you're sitting in a room of CEOs and there's not a single woman up there, but they're telling you women can be CEOs and women can be great. You're kind of like side-eyeing them. Like, so how come I don't see a single female up there? In the world of recruiting, it's literally a strategy to have someone that looks like the, the audience that you're targeting at your recruiting event. It's done on purpose to make them like gravitate to your table because if they don't see anyone that looks like them, they automatically, generally research shows, they assume there's no real opportunities for people that, that look like them. So the same thing kind of goes with homeownership. If you have uh, someone up here talking about buying a home, like imagine I got a black person up here having a whole seminar about buying a home and he's never been a homeowner. <laughs> yeah. Looks a little weird, right? Little um, so you put them in front of people so that they can have that representation. So that's a really good one. They have just in general, a lot of the first time home buyer grants, while they are not discriminatory and they don't target a specific group, they're very great for minorities in general. Like Suffolk, for example, their first time home buyer grant is $14,500 that you can get to go towards your down payment. I think Norfolk's is like 40 grand, I think. It's wow. something between 30 and 40 grand. It's a lot because Norfolk's homeownership rate is low. Mm. Um, the cities that have the lower homeownership rates tend to have the higher grant amounts because they are strongly pushing that they want to increase homeownership in those um, communities. Virginia Beach has like a 72% homeownership rate. And as a result, Virginia Beach doesn't really offer any <laughs> kind of homebuyer grants. They're doing pretty good already on, on homeownership. So you don't really need to put that, put that money out there. And then the state of Virginia in general has like, um, all these are income based for the record. So you can't be black making 200 grand a year. <laughs> um, the assumption if you're making 200 grand a year, you should probably be able to buy a house. But like, if you're a single person, I believe in Virginia, I think it's like, I'm making less than 55,000. You can qualify for 15,000 in uh, grant money for down payment. Um, they also have where they'll give up to, I think it's like a two and a half percent grant and you can apply that two and a half percent towards your closing costs. Again, all income specific. And the reason why I say these don't discriminate, but generally they benefit minorities is because more of the lower income earners tend to be minorities. So they generally are the ones that will benefit from these programs. But you do have several local initiatives. I mean, there's home buyer seminars all the time. If you just literally go on Eventbrite and type in home buyer seminar, you can find 
several. I know several that are taking place just in the next three months. It's a matter of doing, like having the initiative to look the stuff up. Right. And again, that's where I feel like we kind of draw the line. Like there's no, there's no initiative. I mean, if you just Google home buyer grants, nobody told me those numbers. I looked them up. <laughs> there's a whole website and you can find what are the income limits. There's a program I recently learned about. It's called Section 134. It specifically is for Native Americans. Oh. And it is a grant just for them. You, it doesn't. It's not at every bank, um, and every state also does not offer it. But the point is, they have grants that are specifically tied just for that, because they want to increase home ownership in that community. Someone asked me, "Do you know of any programs?" And I just happened to Google it myself and came across it. So, I mean. Education is a choice. That's really like the best thing that I could say. If I had to give any tip to to any black person who wants to be a homeowner, education is a choice. Pick up a book, go on YouTube, take a class, find someone who's a black homeowner and ask them, what did you do to, to get here? I mean, me and you sat down almost a month ago and had a very candid conversation. Mm -hmm. And the majority of my conversation was based on my own experience. But my point is, I had that experience to be able to share. It was a learned experience. And now I can pass on to someone else. And I can say, this is how you do this. This is how you sit down and you make a budget. This is how you come up with a savings plan. You know, your goal is to buy a house. Okay, that's the big goal. What's the short-term goals? You want to buy a $300,000 house. Okay, if you want to buy a $300,000 house and you want to do a conventional loan, you're going to need 5% down. That means you're going to need at least $15,000 to buy a $300,000 house. For those who are listening, the math on that is that 300,000, 1% is 3,000 and I need 5%. So three times five, $15,000. The average closing cost is around three to 4% on that price of a house. So now on top of your 15, you need another three to 4% potentially for closing costs. You need to have your money for an inspection. You need to have your money for your deposit. Like there's all these things that I kind of learned on my own. I can give people tips all day on how we as a community can come together. But the best tip I can give anybody is find someone who already knows it and latch onto them. I have followed several like real estate investors. I listen to all kinds of different home buying podcasts. I'm constantly looking for ways to expand my knowledge when it comes to home ownership, knowing and understanding how home loans work. Your mortgage does not stay the same. Just because you buy a house and your mortgage rate is, I don't know, let's just say for easy numbers, 1500 insurance goes up. Property taxes as your property value increases goes up. So if you go and 
you now put all these changes in your house and the city comes and they do a little drive by and they're like, Ooh, that roof looked real nice. Oh, they got a new little fence. Ooh, they got new shutters. They're going to shoot your property taxes up because they're now assessing your house as being worth more than what it was when you bought it. So now your mortgage is going to continue to go up. It's one reason why if a bank tells you you're pre-approved for 450 grand, right? You should not go buy a house at 449. You were approved and they said that you could do 450 grand. And depending on every bank has a different DTI allowance, DTI debt, debt to income allowance. Some banks, it's as low as 36%. Some banks, depending on your credit, will give you as high as 50% debt to income ratio. So if you happen to be on the really high end of credit and they approved you at like 48 to 50% DTI for 450 and then you go buy the house at 449, if your payment now goes up to what would be the equivalent payment of like 460, you're probably above your 50%, right. which means it's going it's to start to get real uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then that phrase of being house poor that's where that comes from. It's when you, yes, you might've qualified in the beginning, but you don't qualify no more. You can't afford this house that you have bought. So that is the other thing. You get into a house and you don't understand there's more to a house than just paying the mortgage. The toilet is going to clog and your AC is going to go out and a tree might fall on your roof and the, the water heater might leak. And these things cost a lot of money. So when we talk about like homeowner education, it's more than just, you need this credit score, you need this money down, and this is what this is gonna cost. They need to understand too, what comes with homeownership. This is not renting where you can call someone and say, hey, my, my sink is leaking, and they're gonna show up, and it's just like in your rent somewhere. They are looking, for you to pay them. And some of these contractors, it's off rip $200 just to show up. And then if I stay there for an extra 15 minutes, I'm charging you for this, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever it is. And then if I fix it, oh, I'll take that off of the price. But if I don't fix it, you owe me because I came here and I took my time and, you know, I'm charging for my labor. They go into houses and they don't, get insurance because they can't afford it. The, 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 the money you were going to spend monthly on insurance, you should have gotten because now you need a whole new roof and you can't, you can't afford it. Understanding flood zones, understanding home warranties, you know, and how they work. I, I used to joke my mom because she called me one day and she's like, I got home insurance. I need new carpet. Will it pay for that? And it just baffled me. Like, you've owned a home for years. Why do you not know that? Like, <laughs> no, you don't just be like, I need new floors. I've been paying y'all. Where's my money go? That is not how that, that's not how that concept, like, works at all. So, like, to me, the education goes just beyond even knowing loan programs and how payments work and things like that. You have to have an understanding of, like, where do property taxes come from? Mm -hmm. What is the rate um, in the different cities? Understanding HOAs or POAs, you know, those play a big, big part too. Like, you might be approved 
again, we'll use 450, for example, for 450 and you're buying this house at 449, but their HOA is 385 a month. And now you're questioning, I thought you said I could buy the house at 449. Well, yeah, you can pay what the payment is for 449, but by the time we add in the 385 for the HOA, you can't afford this anymore. Right. God forbid you're in a neighborhood that has an HOA and a POA. And there are neighborhoods like that, that are, there's the neighborhood fee. And then you live in a sub neighborhood of the big neighborhood. So you've got two different fees plus your insurance, you know, again, understanding how equity in your house works is a whole nother subject that people, I don't even think realize how equity works and how equity is gained, gained in a house. I think also it would influence how people took care of their homes if they had more education. Like I ride through neighborhoods sometimes and I'm like, there's no way y'all are homeowners. This is ridiculous. Like you're not taking care of your house. And if you think about it, like say I meticulously take care of my house. My my, my yard is done. My shut, you know, my house is power washed. My I got fresh, fresh brand new windows, but my three neighbors got trash all on the outside. It's just like siding is peeling off. The roof mm-hmm. is um, darn near about to come off. They're killing my property value. So a lot of time you see builders, right? They'll go build new construction houses, but it's like across the street from the projects. Not really a good buy. Right. <laughs> it's not a good buy as a homeowner. Like you mm-hmm. might get a new house and you're probably going to get a steal for it on price mm-hmm. because- that builder probably got the land for dirt cheap and they don't have to sell it for what they would have to sell it for in a different city. Mm-hmm. But your property value is going to creep like molasses. So mm-hmm. you have to think about that too. I was very picky in picking a neighborhood because I didn't want to live somewhere where six years later I'm in my house and it's only gone up 30 grand. When I talk about Portsmouth, I'm not just saying that out of opinion. I can pull up almost any house in Portsmouth and I can pull up the history of that house and the value has creeped like molasses. But I can pull up a house in Virginia Beach and the property value has darn near doubled or tripled for Mm -hmm. some houses, depending where they are. Right. So it's a whole lot of things that go into it. Like it's, it's a much deeper conversation. Obviously in the beginning, the money obviously is the most important part because if you don't have the money, all the rest of this is irrelevant. Right. And understanding how interest works, like knowing how to calculate interest, I think is also important because if you don't know how to calculate it, you'll look at your payment and you're going to start cursing because your mortgage payment is $2,500 a month and only 500 paid your principal. And you're like, where the other 2000 go understanding how escrow works. Like there's so many things. So yeah, I went a very long tangent, but to answer the question, there are several resources out there. Mm -hmm. I myself in March am actually hosting a home buyer seminar with a lender for this very reason. Um, And we are going to touch on everything from the different loan programs, how credit works, how credit scores are calculated you know, what is the home buying process? Like, how does that go? All the steps from putting in an offer to doing an inspection to appraisal, closing, all of that. And it's free. 
plug y'all if you're in the 757 area um definitely be on the lookout for for that event that'll be a good good workshop i might have to come down for it because um lord knows i have no idea what i'm doing um but yes so the next question i have for you is you kind of talked about this a little bit when you touched on the um hr con but like what is the importance of representation in the real estate industry why is it important that we have more people that look like you and me out there helping people buy homes or educate them on how they purchase homes? The short answer, and it's actually a, psych a psychology answer, people tend to be more motivated when they see someone that looks like them. The Little Mermaid came out and that viral video of the little girl crying at the screen because Ariel looks like her. The little boy who watched Encanto, and it was a curly-haired little black boy, and he sees, you know, this, like, you know, Hispanic boy on the screen. But the point is, he saw a little brown, curly-haired kid. Right. And it was like, wow, they look like me. Representation is important because if every time you walk in a room, you never see anybody that looks like you you start to question if you really belong in the room, even if you know deep down that you do. I have walked in several rooms and been the only person that looks like me. And I know I earned my spot, but I could feel the stairs questioning that I, that I deserve to be there. In the neighborhood that I live in, I live in a very diverse neighborhood. Um, but I'm gonna tell you one of the most exciting things for me was my neighbors on both sides of me are black homeowners. My neighbors across from me diagonally are Hispanic. And then the neighbors diagonal from them are black. I have a ton of black homeowners in my neighborhood. And again, I was like ecstatic. Like I know a lot of people be like, why is that such a big deal? But it was a big deal to me because I live in a nice neighborhood. I paid a nice amount for my house. <laughs> so to know what I spent on my house and then to see that there were other people that could afford to live in this neighborhood that looked like me, it was a big deal to me because I recall in the ninth grade, we moved to the neighborhood that my parents have been in for now 20 some odd. Yeah, I think it was 2003. So I guess 21 some odd years they've been in the neighborhood and don't get me wrong. The neighbors that ask this question, they're like really, really great people and really, really good friends with my parents now. But at the time, they literally were questioning like how my parents got in the neighborhood. Like there was all these questions about like, what does my dad do for a living? And there was like, you know, mm -hmm. is he a, like there were jokes like, are you a drug dealer or something? <laughs> um, <laughs> because my parents had I think my dad at the time had like the big old suburban truck. And I think my mom had a van like nothing fancy, but my dad's big old truck, I guess, was the the thing. The marker um, of a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, and it was a nice house. And then there was only, um, I think when we moved in, I think it was only two other black families on the street. One of those was a interracial couple. And I think the other one was also mixed too. So basically out of all the like 30 something houses in the neighborhood, it was only like three of us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there was a lot of question. And I never understood that. Like, 
I was 13 at the time. I, I didn't get like, why, why are they questioning? Like why we live here? You see these viral TikToks and reels and Facebook stories of people like fishing in neighborhoods and people coming up to them and saying like, do you live here? Because it is just unimaginable that we can afford to live in some of these neighborhoods. That's why representation is important because one of us opens the door for there to be two and two of us opens the door for there to be three. And maybe more of us would buy in these neighborhoods if we saw people that look like us. I don't think there's anything wrong with one of my favorite neighborhoods in Portsmouth. There's literally, it's an all black neighborhood in Portsmouth. Um, You see it like fresh off the interstate, big old houses. The builder of that neighborhood was black. Hmm. Black lawyers, black doctors, black realtors, black insurance agents, like all black professionals. And I don't think, I don't know if it was done purposely. It's a very old neighborhood. I remember that neighborhood being there even when I was like a little kid and I'm in my thirties. But I I don't know if that was done purposely. I got to go back and look and see if that was like maybe like an old red line neighborhood or something. Cause it's just so interesting to me that it's a high income black neighborhood. There are cities like that, that have neighborhoods that are high income black neighbors. And that's great. I'm not knocking that. Like I'm, I'm all for us having, you know, like our success. Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't want us to get to a point where we have to go create our own high wealth pockets. Right. We deserve to live in million dollar houses too. Um, shoot, we deserve to live in four hundred thousand dollar, um, you know, houses and things like that. I've had someone knock on my door, and flat out, uh, be like, "Can I talk to the homeowner? Why you didn't just assume it was me?" Right. Yeah. If if I wasn't, that's fine. I would have rather you just been wrong instead of like you look at me and it's like, oh, is the homeowner present? Right, like that kind of bothered me. So yeah, that to me is why representation is extremely important. We have to have more people that look like us. We have to have more people buying homes. If we have more people, we have more people that can educate other people. And if we have more people, you have something to look up to and something to aspire to to be. It's why you know it's so important to highlight first black billionaire, right? Or you know, uh, first black woman CEO. I, I hate when people say, why do we have to put race with it? Why do we have to highlight that? You you don't have to highlight Jack. You don't want to. (laughs) Right. But we need to even sometimes take the black part of it out of it. First woman, anything. We need to see that Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. for the longest y'all have questioned, you know, what women can do. I know she was a drug dealer and it's probably not the best example, but I love Griselda because she came in an industry, in a field, an industry, right? Like it's a job. She came in an industry that was highly ran by men mm-hmm. and she dominated. And they were constantly called into question her capabilities because, well, you know, you're just a woman. You're just a woman. She constantly got that. So how often do we get, well, you know, black people don't own houses. Um, Very true. And there are several times in my career where I've been questioned and I'm not a fan. And you ain't about to keep questioning me. I'm a two-time homeowner. I got three degrees. My kids will probably be homeowners before they turn 18. And I'm on a mission out here to make as many Black people homeowners as I can. And to defy the stereotype that we're all just 
low income project babies living in a cycle of poverty somewhere, um, incapable of closing that gap. We're not incapable of closing that gap. And just so people know, and I'm going to tie this into how this goes, they will never fully cancel student loans. Want to know why? Because if you (laughs) were to actually fully cancel student loan debt, that wealth gap would actually close up real, real quick. The majority of Black people that cannot become homeowners are because they're stacked with student loan debt. So look at that. (laughs) Predatory lending is not just in housing. Predatory lending is also in student loans. The average African-American doesn't go to grad school because they're strapped with so much undergrad debt. That's why as you get into master's and doctorate programs, we exist, but our numbers start to dwindle off because we can't afford to go to these graduate programs. The average student loan debt for a black person is around 50,000. If you were to wipe off that student loan debt, you now open up a door for their DTI to go down. That's not to say they don't have other debts like credit cards and things, you know, like I ain't in everybody's pocket, but that's just the the statistic there that if you were to wipe out that debt alone, you would open up the door for, I forget what the number is, but it's like home ownership in like black communities would shoot up like, like plus 30% or something. I haven't looked at it in a while. It was back when I did my, my dissertation. The number might've even increased by now. So all these arguments about you went to college and you should have to pay for your own debt and blah, 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 blah. It's a crock of bull. Mm-hmm. They have nothing to do with the fact that they want you to be accountable and they want you to be responsible for paying your own right. stuff because they do bailouts for large corporations all the time and they right. get forgiveness right. for millionaires all the time. It has nothing to do with that. They know for a fact if you do that, you open the door for more black and brown people to close mm-hmm. the wealth gap. That's and right. I end my piece there. No, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. That was a great answer. Um, the next one I have for you is, is there a role that real estate professionals can play to aid in dismantling racial inequalities to foster a more inclusive housing market? Just be ethical. Just be ethical. That's, that's it. Be ethical. Don't operate off bias. I've said several times, my goal and mission is to help black homeowners. I've never said I won't help you if you're not black. I'm going to give 110% to anybody I help, no matter what you look like, no matter what your race, age, sexual orientation, veteran status, you know, all the different things that fall under like EEO, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't care. I don't care what you look like. I'm going to help you to the best of my ability. So if every realtor operates like that, we should handle problems. If you stand firm when you have customers that say things like, I don't want to show my house to people that whatever, or can we target specifically this kind of person and you condone that you're part of the, you're part of the problem. Right. I think everybody needs to take a stand and say like, it's not enough to just have the symbol on your little card that says equal opportunity, uh, you know, whatever, like you need to need to stand by that. Um, I cannot stand companies that have these fake diversity models and, oh, we just promoted a DEI person and they're not, they're literally not diverse and they are extremely like racially toxic and it's just horrible, absolutely horrible. 
And there are a lot of people out here that are operating under the fake guise of wanting to be equitable, but really and truly, they don't mean it. It's just to save face because they don't want to cost themselves any money. So as long as realtors are ethical and they stand firm in like strong, diverse values, I think we'll be fine. And if they, and just offer more like stuff, I don't care if it's a TikTok. I don't care if you do weekly Zoom sessions. Um, education is power. So to me, that's the best thing a realtor can do. Continue to educate, continue to push. If you have to target a certain audience with your education, then do that. If you know that there's an audience that needs the education more so than others. Again, I'm not saying to discriminate against anybody, but there is a such thing as target marketing. Mm-hmm. And that's not discriminatory. Right. So black, brown, blue, green, gay, straight, questionable, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like <laughs> male, female, whatever you are, treat everybody the same. Educate everybody. Answer questions. And don't be afraid to share your knowledge because it's enough out here for us to all eat. Facts. That's a word for everybody. That is a word. What are some steps that can be taken to promote fair housing practices and combat discrimination in the real estate industry. Know your stuff. Um, I had a conversation with my mentor earlier about rules, like with, uh, because I have a listing that I was putting out. She was like, just know your rules. Know your rules and know your laws. Mm -hmm. If you know what's illegal and what's illegal, you should never do anything illegal. Know your laws up and down. I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff should just be common sense. But common sense ain't always common. Yeah. So if it's not a common thing for you, literally just go read your rules backwards and forwards. I'm not about to sit here and lie to you and say I've, I've got them all down packed because the whole reason me and her had to have, have, have a conversation was because I was on the brink of breaking a rule. Not, uh, not a rule on like discriminatory practices, but it was something else about like uh, how to do a listing. But she's like, yes, yeah, see, this is why we need to make sure we know these rules backwards and forwards. If you know your rules up and down, you can never go wrong. Know the laws for your state. Know the laws for your county. Because sometimes county laws are a whole lot different. And I don't know that a lot of people know that. So know what, and also state laws can differ from federal laws. So you need to know all three sets. I think the only other thing that people can do, if you don't know, ask. If you're not sure if what you're doing is wrong, I tell people all the time, if you think what you're doing is wrong, it's probably wrong. Like you're not calling it into question for nothing. You have gut feelings for a reason. That's why they're called gut feelings. Mm -hmm. If something is eating at you and you're like, something just don't seem right. Go ask the question. If you don't know, there's no dumb question. It's been a couple things. I'm like, I don't think that's right. And I've, I've, messaged my mentor and she's like well let's ask somebody else because I'm not sure and well we've roped someone into the conversation because we just want to make sure we're doing things the right way right so ask read learn can't go wrong so to end us out what is some advice you would give to black home buyers navigating the market for the first time uh what are maybe like top Top two, top three things. Ooh, I'm trying to narrow this to two. It's, not <laughs> ha- it's hard. Number one, have a plan. If you do nothing else, have a plan. And that plan needs to include 
your budget, your timeline, and then you need to break that into goals. And then number two, know what you're getting into better than your realtor or your lender. Both parties are there to do a good job for you, but ultimately the only person that's going to look out for you is you. The best person to look out for you is you, not the only person, but the best person to look out for you is you. Mm -hmm. So know your market, know your loan programs, know how the pricing works. People make mistakes all the time. Sometimes it's not necessarily to hurt you. Sometimes like, I mean, you don't know what someone's workload is. You don't know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. We all make mistakes. I miss, I misspell stuff all the time when I'm rushing. I've had a, I've had a student call, like, correct me, like email me and say, um, yeah, that's not right. And I'm okay with that. Wanna know why? Cause they knew their stuff. Yeah. And they knew it enough to tell me, uh, yeah, professor, that's, that's not, that's not right. Same way I called out that lender, know your stuff better than your lender and your realtor. Mm-hmm. That way you're always one step ahead in the process. I think the best compliment I got from my realtor was she was like, I never really worried about you because you know your stuff. So that'd be my two things. Have a plan, know your stuff. Can't go wrong. And there's smaller little tidbits, but I said I'd keep it at two things. <laughs> Well, that's perfect. Well, if you guys need any more tips and advice from Gabby, we are going to drop all of her different connections, socials, website and whatnot in the show notes. So you can check that out so you can connect with her if you're in the, you know, if you're looking to buy a home or if you're just looking to get educated, reach out. All right. Well, that's all I got for you. I appreciate you, Gabby, for, for joining us today. And thanks you all for listening. Thank you. Thank you. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to rate the show and shout us out at the Silver Spoon Pod on Instagram and TikTok. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Be sure to share this episode link with a friend because we all deserve a spoonful of abundance. Until next time.